There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 live march 20th from the edge at hudson yards in new york city Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know. What were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Wednesday out here on MLB Overtime Betting. It is Greg Peterson coming at you from the Zunia Tequila Studio in lovely Las Vegas. We got a great show for you as Joe Osborne of Odd Shark going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be looking at a lot of trends out here in baseball. We're going to be just looking at some over-under pitchers as well. This is going to be very pitcher-heavy, so be on the lookout for that. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, so you guys fired in a couple Twitter questions, and I've got a couple answers to your Twitter questions. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Samuel Robinson, he goes by the Twitter handle at Sam T. Robinson as at one Question for the podcast, what offshore books, in your opinion, have the best baseball lines generally in terms of value and juice? Thanks, Greg. Awesome content. Now, in terms of the lines itself, it's obviously one of those things where you want to compare book to book. A lot of these are very similar as well. The books that you want to avoid are the ones that make you pay heavy juice, like Bovada uses a 20-cent line. Typically, if a game is a pick'em, the books that have value have it at minus 105 each way. If you see it at minus 1010 instead, probably a book that you want to avoid. Five Dimes is obviously a great one. They always seem to have a little bit of everything. That is a book that I've trusted for a very long time, and it actually is the book that I made my first ever bet on. I bet on the UW Oshkosh Titans 
way back in the day when they were facing off against the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, so they forever have a little bit of a piece of my heart. But past that, there are a couple books that I don't think are accepting U.S. members in Pinnacle and Chris that are good. I know like Chris used to. They recently have not been. I don't know what the situation is there. Pinnacle, I know that you have to be outside the United States to be able to use that one. I know this one is also not a U.S. book, but Bet365, for you people that are listening outside the United States, that is a good one. Bet Online is decent. You wager, also a good one. You just want to be looking for these books that they offer minus 105 when the game is pick them instead of minus 110. That is always the biggest thing, in my opinion, because you just don't want to be overpaying on the juice. And then I got this one in from Chad Rogers. You can follow him on Twitter at Chad Rogers, and that is Rogers with a R O G E R S, no D in there, 2439 at GNR squared 81. How do you redetermine which side slash total the public is going to? bet on this is very easy what I do is for one I take a look at the movement both offshore and in Vegas on the lines you can tell sort of where the money is coming in because you'll see one side plummeted and everything like that sometimes you get reverse line moves and you can actually see typically the amount of tickets that are be that have been written on a certain side or total there are a couple different websites that do that I know that I believe it is BetQL is one of those. I know that you can also look on Vegas Insider as well. Those are two very good resources that I use to be able to do this. And then in regards to public teams, these are very obvious ones. If you've got the New York Yankees versus the Baltimore Orioles, it doesn't take your Colombo raincoat to figure out that the New York Yankees are going to be the public side and the Baltimore Orioles are going to be the sharp side. Let's be honest here. Like the Chicago Cubs taking on the Cincinnati Reds, Public's going to be on the Chicago Cubs. I mean, there are just some teams, the Blue Bloods, we all know who they are. They're going to get the public backing. Now, there are things that are a little bit more even up, like this Colorado Rockies versus Arizona Diamondbacks series. Both these teams came into existence right around the same time. That's when you want to use straight line moves to determine what way the money is going, but hopefully that answers your question there. So I appreciate those from you guys. And I always appreciate being able to break down some baseball action. So let's take a look back at yesterday's results, try to become better handicappers for it, and try to find some trends. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The New York Yankees take their second straight from the Tampa Bay Rays by a count of 6-3. to three. In this one for the Tampa Bay Rays, the opener Ryan Stanek wound up giving up one run while recording four outs. And then from there, Ryan Yarbrough did a very decent job. He winds up going three innings. He gives up just one hit. I am not quite sure why he was removed after 42 pitches. Maybe there was an injury or something involved there. I would need to double check because that is very unusual. But then from there... Chaz Rowe had been doing a better job recently, got completely blown up. He gives up three runs while recording just two outs. He now has a 5-1-4 ERA. You also had a pair of runs given up by a pair of other bullpen pieces. And Andrew Kittridge, he now has a 5-40 ERA. He was able to record five outs and recording four outs while giving up his run, Oliver Drake. Though Oliver Drake, 1-2-6 ERA for the Tampa Bay Rays. The offense just wasn't able to do well with men in scoring position. They went 2-8. of eight. Meanwhile, the New York Yankees, they got their first home run in a Yankee uniform from Edwin Encarnacion. His 22nd on the year, the first 21 came with the Seattle Mariners. And then Cameron Mabin, his third straight day with a home run. He is white hot, his fifth of the year. And Jay Happ looks to have really turned the corner. Five innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned. Did not give up a home run. And then Adam Adovino, Tommy Canley, Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman all come into the game. And only one run was getting up. And only one run was given up. That was by Tommy Canley. So the bullpen of the Yankees continues to be very stout. 
The bullpen of the Tigers and the Pirates have not been stopped so far this year, and this game went over as the Detroit Tigers get a 5-4 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates. In this one, the Detroit Tigers only got six total hits, but they were able to do a very good job of taking advantage of not one, not two, but three Pittsburgh Pirates errors. And Daniel Norris is actually a good start in this one. He goes six innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned, including a home run. And then from there, the bullpen of the Detroit Tigers goes three innings. And Daniel Sumpf, the only man that gave up a run that was at least earned. Victor Alcantara also gave up a run, but that was an unearned run. It's for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Going deep in this one, Josh Bell, his 20th home run of the year, 66 RBI, by the way. And Mitch Keller, a better start from what he had been doing previously, still not necessarily great, though. He hasn't lived up to the expectations. Five innings pitch, he gives up four runs, two of which were earned, and then Kyle Crick takes the loss. He winds up giving up a late run to the Detroit Tigers, though. All the pitchers in this game for the Pittsburgh Pirates were done in by the errors, though. Mitch Keller had one of his own. I When a pitcher makes an error, that's one of those things that it should be an earned run, not an unearned run. I continue to harp on it on the podcast, but apparently nobody hears me. And apparently nobody heard me when I said that this game was going under the LA Angels and the Toronto Blue Jays. Neither of these teams were able to put up a lot of runs on Tuesday, but it was the Angels getting a 3-1 to win. The difference maker being the two home runs that were hit off of Marcus Stroman. Cole Calhoun is 16th home run of the year, and Brian Goodwin is 7th. As for Marcus Stroman, he's now 4-9, and he once again had a decent start in this one. Seven innings pitch, he gives up three runs, including those two home runs. But a man with a 3-2-3 ERA should not have a 4-9 record. Meanwhile, the Toronto Blue Jays' bullpen goes two innings. They do not give up a single run, and the only run that the Blue Jays were able to scratch were able to scrape across, was off a Lord's Goriel home run. That is his eighth of the year. It's Tyler Skaggs, a very good start in this one. The lone run that he gave up was off that home run. Three hits allowed in seven and two-thirds innings, and then from there, and then from there, you wound up being able to get Hansel Robles and Ty Buttery to be able to pitch the final outs for the LA Angels. The Astros had Justin Verlander on the mound, and Justin Verlander continues his trend of giving up home runs as it was the Cincinnati Reds getting a 4-3 win in this one. For Verlander, he gives up six hits in seven innings, and he gives up four runs, and that's because three of those runs were off of home runs. For the Cincinnati Reds, going deep in this one, Derek Diedrich, his 18th home run of the year, and just his first of the month, Jesse Winker, his 12th of the campaign, and then you wound up having Kyle Farmer going deep as well for his sixth. Justin Verlander has done a terrific job of everything except for limiting home runs. And Anthony Scalfani actually very terrific in this one. Five and a third innings. He winds up giving up just one run. From there, you did have Amir Garrett have a little bit of a shaky outing. He winds up getting two outs, but he gave up two runs in the process. Being able to go deep for the Houston Astros, Alex Bregman is 20th home run of the year, but it just was not enough as the Cincinnati Reds were able to give up two runs with three and two-thirds innings out of the bullpen, and they were able to get the win in this one. So the Reds continue to play unders, and they continue to have good pitching. The New York Mets had some terrific pitching, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that they didn't go to their bullpen. 10-2, the Mets were able to cool down the Atlanta Braves, who entered into this game, scoring a full run more per game than any other team out there in the big leagues in the month of June. For the Atlanta Braves, the lone runs that they got were in the ninth inning, solo home runs by Josh Donaldson and Freddie Freeman off of one Jacob DeGrom for Donaldson is 13th and for Freddie Freeman is 20th. But aside from those two solo home runs, Jacob DeGrom was terrific. In the first inning, eight, in the first eight innings of the game, he gave up three hits, no earned runs, had 10 punch outs. Then he gave up those two solo home runs. But for the New York Mets, they had more than enough offense in this one. Jeff McNeil, his fourth home run of the year. That was off of Josh Shomlin. Pete Alonso, his 24th home run of the campaign. And Michael Conforto, his 14th home run of the year. Josh Shomlin wound up giving up that home run to Conforto as well. Not his best outing there. He winds up going two innings, giving up those two solo home runs. And then Julio Tehran, who had not allowed more than one earned run in a start since April, 
got destroyed in this one. Four innings pitch. He gives up six runs, all of which were earned. And Tuki Tucson out of the bullpen gives up two runs in two innings as well. So obviously, a little bit of a blow-up performance for the Atlanta Braves. The Chicago Cubs want to forget about their performance against the Chicago White Sox as the Southsiders wind up going into Wrigley Field to get a 3-1 to win. The difference was an Eloy Jimenez two-run home run in the ninth inning off of Pedro Strope, his 12th home run of the year as Ivan Supernova in this one was actually pretty good. Only 170... Only 170 pitches, but he goes five innings, giving up one run. That one run was a solo home run to Kyle Schwarber on the campaign. That is his 16th, but then from there, the White Sox bullpen delivers four innings, does not give up a single run. This White Sox, this White Sox bullpen continues to be amazing. And for the Chicago Cubs, they continue to have all sorts of issues with their bullpen as Pedro Strope gives up that two-run home run. Now he's a 5-5-2 ARA, and Cole Amels. A very tough luck, no decision player in this one. Seven innings pitch. He gives up just one run, evaded a little bit of danger in the process, but he continues to be terrific with his 285 ERA. It was a little bit of a tough night for the Texas Rangers as well as they played host to the Cleveland Indians, and the Indians were able to put up a 10 spot as they knock off the Rangers by a count of 10 to 3. For the Cleveland Indians, they were playing a lot of long ball in this one. Roberto Perez, his 12th home run of the year. Taylor Naquin, his third home run of the year. Jose Ramirez, his fifth home run of the year. And Jake Bowers, his ninth. As Zach Plesak continues to amaze. Rookie pitcher, seven innings pitch. Gives up just two hits, one earned run. That one run was a solo home run. As being able to slide the power off of him was Rudnett Ordor, his ninth home run of the year. And then Willie Calhoun later in the game got a home run off of Nick Whitgren, his third of the year. But for the Cleveland Indians, obviously a very good showing from that lineup as the bullpen winds up giving up two runs and two innings. A little bit unlike them, but game was relatively in hand from there as Adrian Sampson did not have his best outing. He only was able to go three innings, giving up five runs, three of which were earned. And then Drew Smiley in relief because he has been relegated out of the starting lineup. Well, he continues to suck. Three and a third innings. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned, including three home runs. This guy is just a human pinata at this point. Speaking of human pinatas, how about the Baltimore Orioles as they lose the Oakland A's by a count of 16-2. Now the Orioles were able to manage the safety in this one and that was thanks to a Jonathan VR home run. That was his eighth home run of the year, but Gabriel Yanoa wound up getting destroyed in this one. He winds up going five and a third innings. He gives up six runs, all of which were earned. But Dan Straley was even worse. He records a grand total of seven outs, but in the process, he gave up six runs, including three home runs. And you also had Paul Fry, who records one out, giving up four runs in the process, though only one of which was earned, as there were a lot of errors. But for the Oakland A's, going deep in this one was a variety of guys. Robbie Grossman, his fifth home run of the year. Chris Davis, his 16th home run of the year. You had Bo Taylor going deep for his first home run of the year. Stephen Piscotti, his ninth home run of the year. Chad Binder, his sixth home run of the year. Ramon Loreno, his 11th home run of the year. And not listed, I think the towel boy was set to come in pretty soon. He also would have hit a home run. And for Brett Anderson, another terrific start for him. Seven innings pitch, he gives up two runs, just one of which were earned. And that one earned run was the VR home run. And then from there, Aaron Brooks pitches two innings of relief for the Oakland A's. So very good showing there. The Arizona Diamondbacks entered into their game against the Colorado Rockies Red Hot. But in this one, it was not necessarily the best showing for the Arizona Diamondbacks as the Colorado Rockies take it by a count of 8-1. to one. For the Rockies, they wound up getting a terrific outing from Antonio Sensatella. He winds up going six and two-thirds innings. He gives up one run. And then from there, the bullpen of Cesar Estevez and Giero Diaz 
wind up recording the final seven outs of the game. As for the Colorado Rockies, their offense continues to be on point, and it was Nolan Arenado getting a home run in the first inning off of Merrill Kelly to really set the tone. For Merrill Kelly, he entered into this game having given up just one run or fewer in all three of his June starts. Not the same in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up six runs, five of which were earned, including that home run. TJ McFarlane out of the bullpen gives up two runs as well, and for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they just were not able to do anything with men in scoring position. 0 for 7 there, and they leave 10 on base. The St. Louis Cardinals also weren't able to do anything at all with the bat. They wind up losing to the Miami Marlins by a count of 6-0. For the Miami Marlins, Jordan Yamimoto appears to be a trustworthy starter. For the second time in less than seven days, he goes up against the St. Louis Cardinals and shuts them out. Seven innings pitch, gives up just two hits, and then from there, Sergio Romo, who I like to call Submergio Romo, and Tehran Guerrero are able to combine to be able to hold the St. Louis Cardinals as bay as the Cardinals. Just two total hits in this one, and the Miami Marlins, they had two home runs. You had Sterling Castro going yard for his fifth home run of the year, and Brett Hand- and Brett Anderson, his eighth thinger of the year. As for Jack Flaherty, he wound up getting hit around late in this game. He goes seven innings. He gives up those two runs, three total runs for him. He goes seven innings, giving up those two home runs, three total runs. And then from there, you had a pair of runs given up by Taylor Webb out there in the bullpen, and then also giving up a run, John Breba, for the St. Louis Cardinals. He actually gave up two, but only one of which was earned. And like I said, for the St. Louis Cardinals, two hits off the Miami Marlins. That's obviously not a good sign there. Not a good sign for the Milwaukee Brewers, as in their first two games of their set against the San Diego Padres. They've got one run, and that one run came off of a Wild pitch late in this game as the Padres take it by a count of 4-1 to for the Milwaukee Brewers. Just four total hits in this one and a very big surprise as the San Diego Padres wound up getting an absolutely terrific start from Logan Allen. Seven innings pitch, he gives up three hits, no earned runs. The lone run that the Brewers got was off a Trey Wingenter wild pitch. And for the San Diego Padres, they only needed one home run in this one. That came off the bat of... One of their struggling catchers in Francisco Mejia, his first home run of the year. So that was big for the team. They wound up leaving eight on base. But Kirby Yates, once again, with the save, his 26th of the year. He now has a 1-1-3 ERA. He has got to be the most trustworthy closer out there in the bullpen. I know Josh Hader is terrific, but Kirby Yates has been nails all year long. The LA Dodgers have been nails all year long with Clayton Kershaw on the mound, and they just completely pummeled the San Francisco Giants by a count of nine to nothing. In this one, Clayton Kershaw, seven innings pitch, giving up just three hits. He was absolutely terrific. And then Dylan Floro and Joe Kelly were able to go without giving up a run in their inning of relief. As for the LA Dodgers, they were able to set the tone early in this one. It was Jock Peterson getting things going with a leadoff home runoff of Shannon Alexander, his 19th of the year. And then Kike Hernandez was able to go deep for his 11th home run of the year. For Mr. Anderson, he winds up giving up three runs in five and two-thirds innings. It was not a good day out there for Trevor Gott. He wound up giving up that home run to Hernandez. He gets two outs and he gives up four runs. And Derek Holland, he gives up two runs as well. And for the San Francisco Giants... Their bats just continue to struggle. They got four total hits in this one. Nothing good to be said there. A lot of good to be said for the Red Sox and Minnesota Twins with their arms as this game is currently still in progress. I have to post this up by midnight and we're currently in the top of the 16th inning and the Boston Red Sox and Minnesota Twins are tied at a count of 3-3. to It looked like this game was going to end in the 13th inning when Mookie Betts had his 12th home run of the year. Rafael Devers earlier in the game had his 12th home run of the year as well, but the Minnesota Twins were able to get a home run in the 13th inning 
by Max Kepler, his 18th home run of the year, as the starters in this game were long gone. Michael Pineda winds up having actually a really good start. He gives up one earned run over the course of six innings. From there, the Minnesota Twins bullpen has allowed two runs. Ryan Harper winds up giving up a run in relief, and then you wind up having Mike Morin give up a run in his relief appearance as well. But all in all, you take a look at the Minnesota Twins right now. Ten innings out of the bullpen. They have given up two earned runs with the Boston Red Sox. As of right now, they've gotten ten innings out of the bullpen. They've given up one earned run. They've given up two earned runs as well. Hector Velasquez has given up one in three innings of relief. And Brandon Workman won in his one inning. And David Price, a solid start in this one. Not sure why he was pulled after 73 pitches in all honesty. Five innings pitch, he gives up one run. So, obviously, the Red Sox were not intending on this game going 16 innings. And this game did not go 16 innings as it was the Kansas City Royals with Homer Bailey on the mound shutting out the Seattle Mariners by a count of 9-0. to I never thought I would say that, but how about Homer Bailey? Seven and two-thirds innings. He gives up five hits, no earned runs. He was absolutely spectacular. Jorge Lopez wound up giving up giving up no earned runs while recording it out, so golf clap to him, and Kevin McCarthy winds up closing out the game late. As for the Kansas City Royals, Whit Merrifield was terrific in this game. He gets two home runs, one off of UC Kikuchi and one off of Jesse Biddle, his ninth and 10th home runs of the year, and Jorge Soler also went deep off of Mr. Kikuchi, his 20th home run of the year, and for you say Kikuchi. Five innings pitch, he gives up those two home runs. Six total runs, all of which were earned. You had Jesse Biddle winding up giving up that home run. He gave up two runs in total, and Matt Festa gave up a run as well. And for the Seattle Mariners, they weren't able to get to the Kansas City Royals bullpen and Mr. Homer Bailey. So that tells you exactly where they are there. So what did we all learn on this Tuesday in baseball? Apparently, the Phillies and the Washington Nationals don't want to play baseball because they had another game rained out. The New York Yankees are continuing to put up great offensive numbers. The Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen continues to be awful. The Toronto Blue Jays continue to struggle with the bats. Justin Verlander continues to give up home runs, though he's doing everything else quite well. Julio Tehran's run might be coming to an end, but Ivan Nova appears to be coming into his own as a pitcher, and the Chicago Cubs really need Craig Kimbrell badly at this point. The Cleveland Indians might be coming around with their bats. The Miami Marlins might have something in Mr. Yamimoto. The Colorado Rockies continue to put up a boatload of runs. The Baltimore Orioles continue to give up a boatload of runs. The Milwaukee Brewers' bats are currently struggling. The San Francisco Giants are struggling with their bats as well. And Clayton Kershaw just continues to win. And the LA Dodgers, in general, continue to win at home. Perhaps Homer Bailey is a little bit more trustworthy than we thought. And the Boston Red Sox and Minnesota Twins are right now getting some good pitching in general. So... That was Tuesday. Now let's turn the page forward. Let's take a look at some trends that we're noticing with pitchers. And let's just have some fun. Joe Osborne of Objark is going to be joining me next. And that is right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. We're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Zuni Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. You know me. I love it whenever I'm able to get one of the guys on from Odd Shark. They're doing terrific work, and this man is no exception. Joe Osborne is joining me. You can follow him on Twitter at JTFOZ. He does a little bit of everything. He tweets out tons of great nuggets on the MLB. He covers the UFC very closely, NFL, NBA. You name it, he does it, and he's also a gentleman that enjoys a nice cold beer on the weekends as well, <laughs> which is always something that I like being a gentleman from Wisconsin. And Joe, how are you doing on this fine day? 
Hey, buddy. I'm great, man. I'm ready to uh, get another winning week going, hopefully. Yeah, it's nice here on the East Coast. It's starting to warm up a little bit. Good baseball weather. Uh, it's always good baseball betting weather, though, whether it's hot or cold out. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I know that you've been tracking a lot of these starting pitchers as well. I know that Odd Shark has their list of money made, money lost by starting pitchers and everything like that. And on Monday, I know you tweeted out the best first five over under pitchers as well. What really stood out to you? Because I feel like I know some of the names on these lists, but the fact that Yoni Chirinos entering into his start on Monday was one and seven to the under was really glaring to me. Yeah, there's some real standouts here, and I looked at the full game over-under as well. We can get into those, but we'll discuss first five right off the bat. And there are some serious moneymakers here. Looking at overs, Woodruff on the Brewers, his record, he's gone over in 12 of his 14 starts on the first five total line. Looking at Patrick Corbin, who's been a bit of a disappointment. The over has hit in 10 of his 14 on the first five total line. Chris Archer, of course, he's a disappointment. The over is 9-2-1. His teammate, uh, Musgrove, 10-4. and four. One of the bigger surprises, though, is Aaron Nola, 9-4-2 to the over. He's been a bit of a disappointment there as well. But uh, some of the unders here, yeah, Chirinos, he's been... I don't know if I knew who this guy was before the season started, to be completely candid. And he's been one of the bigger surprises, the undergoing 7-1 and one in his starts for the first five. Jose Quintana, 11-3. Shane Bieber, 9-3-2. Julio Turan, who's having a pretty good bounce-back season, I would say. The under has hit 10-3-2. Uh, Kyle Hendricks is up there. Miley, David Price, and surprisingly, Adam Wainwright. The first five under is 8-3-2 for him so far this season. So a few surprises there, but, you know, if you look at these they're starting to build up where it gets to a point where they're becoming, some of these guys are becoming very reliable for whether it be an overbet or an underbet. And the market isn't exactly reacting. Like you saw Torinos go into his start on Monday versus Tanaka. The first five total was set at five. I was expecting a four. So all over that one. Now, if you look at full game uh, over-under trends for pitchers, there's been no one more reliable than Seattle starter Kikuchi. The over is 12-2-1 in the start so far of the season. Another surprise here, Aaron Nola, the over is 12-3 in the starts. Jose Barrios, 9-3-2. A few serious standouts with unders, Greg, for full game. Davies on the Brewers, the under is 11-2-1, so that's been a reliable spot. A really big money maker. Bieber, 11 and three. Verlander, 11 and four. So I always recommend when you're doing your handicapping, take a look at what the guy's over under record is for the season too, because sometimes, like I said, the market isn't adjusting to these things. And these guys have been extremely reliable in these spots. Absolutely. As we do have Joe Osborne joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting and Something else that really stood out to me is that you guys always do your money won, money lost for pitchers. I thought that it was so glaring that entering into Monday's action, I don't think it's any surprise that Lucas Giolito is the top pitcher in regards to money won. If you bet $100 on him on every one of his starts this year, I think that you're up over $1,000. It's absolutely insane. He's been terrific. But number two on that list, Andrew Kashner. This is a guy that I don't think too many people would think would be on that list. He entered into Monday right around a 4-7 ERA. This is a gentleman that somehow, someway has a 6-2 record despite it. And this is on a Baltimore Orioles team that I think we'll both agree 
absolutely stinks. How much stock do you put into that? Because it's one of those things where I certainly do think that you get a good gauge of some of these guys that are making money. Like the Minnesota Twin starters have obviously been terrific. Lucas Giolito. Yeah. But then you sometimes get the outliers like Andrew Kasher, and you're just you're like, how the heck is this happening? Yeah, Andrew Kasher, more like Andrew Trashner. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Hilarious, right? Yeah, that's what we it. use from the, the Shark office here. But yeah, I don't put a whole ton of stock into that one whatsoever. Like, Talking about Andrew Trashner, we saw him go head-to-head with Drew Pomeranz a couple weeks ago. Kashner allows six earned runs in the first five innings. However, Pomeranz allowed seven, so Kashner would have got credit with the first five money line win there. You always have to have the stats to back up these trends. That's what I always say. So, like, if you look at the least profitable pitchers on the season, you're going to see some big-time Hall of Fame names on that list. Chris Sale, Scherzer. DeGrom isn't having the best season in terms of win-loss. So some of that has to do with run support. And I always say that win, like a win for a pitcher, I think that's the most overvalued stat in all of sports because it is completely dependent on run support. So in some cases, yes, 100% that they are interesting and it can be a good starting point for a bet, but you have to have the stats to back those up. So if I hear Andrew Trashner is the second most profitable pitcher in baseball, you got to be an absolute maniac to just blindly bet that. You have to look into uh, his stats, and you would look into his stats on the road in particular and see that he has an ERA, I think, hovering around five, not very strong. Another guy who was doing quite well in terms of win-loss for first five in particular was Michael Waka, and this was despite having an ERA over five at one point in the season. So, yeah, you always have to have the stats to back these things up. Sometimes there's some substance to them. Sometimes there is a whole ton of luck, and that's what I would say about Kashner. I will show him the proper respect. But a guy like Giolito, <laughs> he's legit. You have the stats to back up those Ws. I totally agree with you, as we do have Joe Osborne joining me right here on the podcast. And something else that I think we can both agree upon, this past weekend of baseball, we saw a whole boatload of overs. I think like 70% of the games from Friday through Sunday went over. How are you taking this into account in your handicapping? Because we saw that Rockies versus Padres series, 92 runs across four games. That is the most runs across a four-game series in the history of baseball. We're seeing these bullpens just gas canning three and four mm-hmm. run leads like they're candy. It's absolutely insane. How have you been taking that into account for what you're doing? Because I do feel like there are a couple teams like the Milwaukee Brewers and the Tampa Bay Rays, that they actually have a lot more value than other teams in full game. But at the same time, it just makes everything, unless if you have like a Kirby Yates or someone as your closer, a real roll of the dice. Yeah, I mean, you see like, like there have been a lot of overs and over the course of the weekend there was a time, but I'm still looking at every single game individually and every single team individually as well. So for me, it's simple. Like I know you strictly bet full game. But for myself, if I'm betting on a team like the Mets or a team like the Nationals, I'm going first five every single time on a team that has a really bad bullpen. Because I can't tell you how many times I've been burned by... uh, Sorry, some guy just passed me a note here. Come on, man. (laughs) Sorry, Greg. You know how it is here at the Odd Shark office. But yeah, if I can't trust a bullpen, I'm not going to bet on the full game. It's as simple as that because... I've just been burned too many times. So, yeah, I I look at each game, each matchup, each team individually. I do think that that's the best way to go as well, because I know that 
with some of these trends. There are just some that I take a look at very seriously. There are others that I just don't put a lot of stock into. I know that someone was tweeting me on Monday that the Washington Nationals have one of the worst records in the big leagues in regards to the first game of their series. But I take a look at those mm-hmm. first games, and you can tell that the Nationals just didn't match up well with regards to the pitching matchup. The other team may have had a day of rest when they did not. What do you think of trends like these? Because I do think that there is sometimes substance to them, especially with the Miami mm-hmm. Marlins being so gosh darn bad in the last game of their series. I don't know how, and I don't know why, but the Marlins' past two years have won like 15% of the games in which it's the last of a series. That's just absolutely insane. But there are other of these trends where I just feel like it's explained by the matchups that they have. Yeah, I think it's completely minor, and I don't put a whole ton of stock into those. For example, like if I'm looking at records in series openers, uh, coming into Monday's games, the Astros are 20 and 3, the best record in the league. The Yankees are 16 and 7. The Twins are up there 16 and 7. Rays also 16 and 7. When you look down at the bottom of the list, uh, of course, you just mentioned the Nationals 6 and 17, Orioles 7 and 16, Rangers 7 and 16 as well. So, the only bit of stock that I could put into that is if you looked at the home away split and if the team had a really bad record in series openers on the road, then maybe that would tell me they don't travel well, they don't prepare the same, their routine of being on the road throws them off a little bit. But it tends to be you're going to see really good teams at the top of this list and bad teams at the bottom of it, similar to how you would just read the normal standings board for games one throughout a season. So I don't put a whole lot of stock. I do find it interesting, you know, like you see like a stat like the Nationals 6 and 17. That would never be the basis for a bet, maybe something small to support it. But yeah, there's a lot of coincidence in there. And you always have to consider what opponents they're taking on as well. And you mentioned coincidence. I do think that we have something interesting going down on Wednesday as it's going to be the Yankees versus the Rays. CC Sabathia going up against Blake Snell. Something that I've noticed with Blake Snell is that he's 4-5 and five on the year, 370 ERA, and he seems to do really, really good against the elite teams throughout his career against the Yankees and the Red Sox. He's mm-hmm. owned them, but he's lost twice so far this year to the Kansas City Royals. He lost once to the Detroit Tigers. He had a less than stellar outing when he went up against the LA Angels, did not make it out of the fourth inning there. What do you make out of a guy like this that it seems like whenever he goes up against a team like the Yankees or an elite team like that, he does terrific, but whenever he goes up against one of these lesser teams, he just isn't his same self. Yeah, it's quite frustrating. I was on the wrong end of one of those Royals losses. Yeah, it's funny with Snell, and sadly, you would see him against the Yankees and Red Sox last season, and you'd get really good value on him, and of course, he'd come out and pitch a beautiful game. But maybe it just comes in the prep. Maybe it comes from undervaluing the opponent. I wouldn't say that it comes from not trying as hard, but it's got to be a mental thing, you would think, because it's so hard to explain. And, and pitching is such maybe one of the biggest uh, m- like mental preparation positions of any sport. I don't know, man. We, we would have to ask him. I'm just dumbfounded when I see his results versus teams like the Royals and the Blue Jays and stuff like that. So I don't have a good answer for you. All I can say is that it's very frustrating as a better, and it's hard to figure out. Absolutely. And what do you make out of teams that are in recent form as well? Taking a look at the Atlanta Braves, they're going to be going up against the New York Mets. Max Freed has certainly not had his best couple starts, but you take a look at the Atlanta Braves, 
Going into the week, they were averaging nearly seven runs per game in the month of June. I believe a full run more per game in this month than any other team out there in the big leagues. You have to think at some point there's going to be some regression to that. Is this one of these situations where you just keep on riding overs with the Atlanta Braves until the wheels fall off, or do you try to jump out ahead of these and try to be able to catch up before things really do go downhill? Well, of course, it always depends on who's on the mound, but they, they've just, just been so well-rounded lately. So it always depends on who the opponent is and what the pitching matchup is. But they're extremely well-rounded. Like, if you look at over the course of the last 20 days, they rank second overall in OPS. And the bullpen's been pretty good, too. They come into the last 20 days second overall in bullpen ERA. So very well-rounded team. Of course, they'll be joined by Dallas Keuchel very soon. So... This might be the time for futures betters to get on a team like the Braves. They had a bit of a slow start, and maybe you could blame some of that on the youth. Of course, they have a lot of young guys in the starting rotation and a lot of young guys in the field for them as well. I don't know if they will fizzle out. I think you're going to see some teams in the NL East become sellers. The Mets and Nationals don't look like they'll be competing in September, so you might see them throw in the towel. So I think the Braves are a team that you could see really excel for the rest of the season. I think so as well. I do think that there's a lot of value on the Atlanta Braves as we do have Joe Osborne joining me right here on the podcast. And just a little bit of a thought from you here. There's no right or wrong answer, but I did mention it a few minutes ago that the overs have been cashing at an insane rate in baseball. Do you think that there might be any regression Mm -hmm. to this? And do you think that books might be adjusting just because we are seeing a very different game than we saw a couple years ago? Unders seem to have been doing better and better and better going into this year. And then this Mm -hmm. year, we're just seeing everyone hitting home runs. I mean, for goodness sakes, Hunter Renfro is like 23 home runs right now. (laughs) Well, you know, it's peaks and valleys, right? It's just like anyone as a better, if if you're betting every day throughout the baseball season like you do, you're a maniac. You bet the side in total on every single game. Oh, I am a maniac. And yeah, you're going to have peaks and valleys where you're going to have incredible win streaks. And then you're going to have some real letdowns. and so I, I think you will see a comeback league-wide where there's going to be a period where there's more unders than usual. And then, again, you're going to see another crazy period where you have a ton of overs hitting. If the over trend does not slow down, yeah, I would not be surprised to see odds makers throw an extra half run or an extra run on some of these totals to try to get some money back in their pockets before too many people catch on. But yeah, it's peaks and valleys with this stuff. And I I think you'll see it come back down to earth. Absolutely. And Joe, I would like to close it up with this. You and so many others at the Odd Shark office are doing tremendous work. I know you are dialed into a little bit of everything with regards to baseball. You do a tremendous job with the NFL. You do great work out there in the UFC. You do a great job in the NBA. I'm sure if you were a popcorn vendor, you'd be the best popcorn vendor out there in the world as well. Let the good people know where they can find a little bit more of your work out there on social media, video work, and just a little bit of something else as well, because I know you do a bit of everything. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The number one thing that people can do, I recommend checking out our show. It's called Guys and Bets. It's on every day at 12 Eastern, 9 in the West on YouTube, and we have the replay that you can watch if you can't catch it live. We give our best six bets of the day. It's going to be pretty much baseball focused for the next couple months here anyways until we get football going. But we do add some UFC and some golf and other stuff in. But I'm primarily, I guess you would say, the main baseball guy here. So we do our best bets and we get you in and out in 15 minutes or less. 
So I'd recommend checking that out. I share the link on my Twitter account every single day. Find me on Twitter at JTFOZ. And if you're looking for the best baseball betting tools on the Internet, you can find them at oddshark.com. Absolutely. A big thanks to Joe Osborne of joining me. A big thanks to Joe Osborne of Odd Shark for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. All those guys over there at Odd Shark doing terrific work. And coming up next, I do give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board. And a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, That's gold! And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And many thanks to Joe Osborne of Oddshark for joining me in the last segment. Some terrific trends there as we are back here in the Azunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board, and we call it Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. As per usual, any changes that are made to these plays could be noted up by my Twitter feed at unitrscore81. Some of these plays are all locked in, bet on, everything like that. Other of these plays, we are in a little bit of wait and see mode. We are also taking a look at lineup moves, everything like that. A couple games are currently off the board, and I will keep you guys abreast of everything as we go along. And as per usual, we start in betting rotation order, and that begins with 951-952. The San Diego Padres playoffs to the Milwaukee Brewers. Zach Davies goes for the Brewers. Matt Stram for the Padres. Your total on this game is 8.5. The over and under, both at minus 110 across the board. If you're looking at the Padres, well, this is pretty much a pick'em game. Anywhere between minus 105 and minus 107. The Brewers, anywhere between minus 103 and minus 105. Zach Davies got a little bit roughed up in his last start against the San Francisco Giants, but all in all, he's done a solid job for this team this year. He's got a 7-1 record, has been making you a lot of money if you've been betting on him, 260 ERA. 79 and two-thirds innings. He's given up nine home runs, 22 walks, 126 whip. And Matt Stram, very similar whip at a 127, but he's lent himself to a little bit more hard contact. In 63 and two-thirds innings, he has allowed 13 home runs. He has been getting a little bit dinged up and is in his first start off the injured list in Colorado. Nonetheless, it certainly did not go well as he wound up giving up six runs and three and a third innings. It didn't go well for any pitcher out there in Colorado for the San Diego Padres. But with that said, I do take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers in this spot. With the San Diego Padres, you do have a couple guys that are doing a great job of being able to swing the bat. We all know about what Hunter Renfro is doing. Had a huge series out there against the Rockies. 23 home runs on the year. His batting average right now hovering right around a 255 to a 260. You're getting similar results at a Femio Reyes, though he's been in and out of the lineup. He's seeing just below 250, but he's got 19 home runs himself. Manny Machado seems to be picking it up. Finally, he's getting paid all that money. 265 average, he goes 14 home runs. Eric Osmer doing a good job of getting on base with a 286 and getting back Fernando Tatis Jr. is huge. He's got eight home runs to go with a 331 average. Now, there are a couple guys that 
you're not getting a lot out of. Josh Naylor and Will Myers out there in the outfield, both hitting at 227. The catcher spot in general has been bad for the Padres. They're all hitting below 200. And then Greg Garcia hitting a 261 as well. But then you take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers. Christian Yelich is just a man possessed. 26 home runs, 342 average, 57 RBI. Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moustakis both hitting right around a 280. For Moustakis, 21 home runs. Yasmani Grandal, 15. Ryan Braun is hitting just below 270 himself. Lorenzo Cain and Hernan Perez are both hitting a 250. Now you have to note that Jesus Aguiar, Manny Pena, and Travis Shaw all hitting a 205 or worse. But that is where someone like an Orlando Garcia comes in. He's hitting a 240. And then Ben Gamble, whenever he plays the outfield, hitting more around a 250 as well. And then you take a look at what you're getting out of the bullpen of both these teams. You do have two of the more reliable closers out there in the big leagues in Josh Hader and Kirby Yates. But you do have some somewhat untrustworthy middle relievers for the Brewers. Guys like Alex Claudio not getting the job done. And you can't trust in someone like a Matt Whistler for the San Diego Padres. But I do think that... Both these guys give a solid start, but I do give the edge here to Zach Davies, which is why I'm going to be riding with the Brewers and the under. Currently, I noticed that the Brewers opened up the favorite offshore. They are getting bet down, so I'm in wait and see mode there, but have already locked in this total under. 9.53, 9.54 on the betting rotation. It's going to be paired up with 9.81, 9.82 on the betting rotation. It is the Philadelphia Phillies, and they are going to be on the road playing against the Washington Nationals in a double dip. Currently... On both these games, we are seeing no listed pitchers. When I go to ESPN, it looks like game one, the doubleheader, is going to involve Zach Eflin versus Eric Fetty. And then when I take a look at game two, Nick Pavetta going up against Mad Max Scherzer. So obviously, you want to be able to keep everything in line and everything like that. You want to make sure that everything is all straight because it actually looks like Game two is going to be game 953, 954, and the early game, game one of the double dip, is going to be 981, 982. So that is a little bit frustrating, but taking a look at it, if you've got Nick Pavetta versus Matt Scherzer, you just have to back the Washington Nationals in the spot, unless if you're getting some harebrained price where the Philadelphia Phillies are getting plus $2. And I will say this about Nick Pavetta. He's done a little bit of a better job recently. He certainly should not have a 4-1 record. This is a man with a 5 ERA. He has allowed 10 home runs in 45 innings. That is 2 home runs per 9 innings. But you take a look at his most recent starts, it's actually been pretty good for him. Three starts in the month of June. He's won at least six innings in each of them. He gave up four runs in his most recent start against the Atlanta Braves, but he won a complete game against the Cincinnati Reds, giving up one run. Pitch a gem against the Dodgers, giving up no runs there. And then with Madback Scherzer, this is a man that has the top fielding independent out there in the National League. 5-5 five and five record, but a 281 ERA. 136 punch-outs at 99 and a third innings. He's given up just eight home runs. So I like what I'm seeing there. Meanwhile, in game one of this one, this is exactly the matchup that I was breaking down actually on Tuesday's version of MLB Overtime Betting. Eric Fetty, a gentleman that has done a fairly decent job for the Washington Nationals. 368 ERA, 1-1 record, 36 and two-thirds innings. He's given up five home runs, but the big problem with him is He's only been able to go six innings at maximum in his starts. And with the Washington Nationals, they have a woeful bullpen. And Fetty, by the way, coming off giving up a combined eight runs in his last 12 innings. Meanwhile, Zach Eflin, this is a man that has pitched two complete games so far this year. He has given up 11 home runs in 80 innings so far this year, but he's been pitching well in the month of June. You take a look at his last start, gives up two runs in eight innings against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Tough luck loser there. Previous start to that, he wound up evading a lot of danger, going six and a third innings, giving up one run against the Cincinnati Reds. And with both these teams, you've got... Some guys are starting to heat it up with the bat. 
Let's take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. First, JT Riumitov sitting at 277. Bryce Harper just a 247 going into Tuesday's action, and he right now leads the league in strikeouts, but he has provided 12 home runs. Reese Hoskins doing a very solid job of hitting for this team. The home run rate has come down a little bit for him, but he's still slugging at about a 271 average. Scott Kingery hitting a 344 has been terrific. Gene Segura sitting at 275. Roman Quinn is back in the fold, and then you also do have to note that Nick Williams is in the outfield as well. Both these guys are hitting below the Minoza line, but you got to think that that's going to be picking up. Cesar Hernandez has seen a dip in his average. He and Sean Rodriguez both hitting in the realm of a 260, and we are noticing that JT Riumuto has been missing the past couple of games, so you want to note that as Andrew Knapp got the last couple starts at the catcher spot. This is a gentleman that is hitting below the Mendoza line. Meanwhile, with the Washington Nationals, Got to like what you're getting at the top of the lineup. Adam Eaton sitting 280. Trey Turner, 289. Anthony Rendon doing a little bit of everything. He's hitting right around a 320. 16 home runs, 50 RBI going into Tuesday. Juan Soto has fallen off a little bit with regards to the power numbers, but he's still hitting a 290 to go with his 11 home runs. Matt Adams over the weekend at a multi-home run game. You do have Brian Dozier and Jan Gomes both hitting below a 230 and Victor Robles a 234, but all in all, you are getting some good signs there. This is a spot where in game one, which would actually be 981-982, Zach Eflin versus Eric Fetty, have to lean towards the Philadelphia Phillies. I noticed that when the game was listed on the board on Tuesday, they were getting a little bit of a plus price, so that would be my lean there. And then if you're taking a look at the Nick Pavetta versus Max Scherzer matchup, 953-954, I would certainly be looking at Mad Max Scherzer unless if it's a very, very harebrained number. As far as the totals, really unsure at this point. I was seeing a total of about 9.5 when I was taking a look at the matchup between Eflin and Fetty when it was listed on Tuesday. I would have to lean under there. I'd probably lean under on the second game as well, but this is one where you have to take a look at my Twitter feed at GNRSquare1 for sets plays just because right now the Las Vegas betting board not doing us too many favors. We move on to 955-956 on the betting rotation. The Atlanta Braves play host to the New York Mets. Steven Metz goes for the Mets. Max Freed goes for the Atlanta Braves. Your total on this game is 9.5 over and under both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Atlanta Braves laying anywhere between minus 150 and minus 155 plus price here with the New York Mets between plus 140 and plus 142. The Atlanta Braves are just hitting at an unreal rate right now. Going into Tuesday, they were averaging more than a full run per game than any other team out there in the month of June. Meanwhile, you take a look at the New York Mets. Their bullpen has been unrealistically bad recently. You're not getting production out of anyone out of it, aside from, I guess you could say Seth Lugo. He's been okay, but he's only going to be able to give you an an inning at tops. And with Steven Matz, he's really been lending himself to hard contact. 69 innings pitch. He's given up 13 home runs so far this year. It has been a little bit of a teeter-totter act for him because he's had some good starts. He's had some bad starts. And in three starts in the month of June, he's won six innings in each of them, but he's given up a combined 10 runs in those starts as well. So you got to think that he's going to lend himself to a little bit of hard contact. Max Freed got off to a terrific start to the year. We are seeing him come back to earth as well. You take a look at the month of June. He's made three starts. He's given up five runs, three runs, and five runs in those starts. Though I do think that the New York Mets are going to be coming back to earth a little bit with regards to their average. Jeff McNeil at the top of the lineup. He has been doing a terrific job for this team. He's hitting just below a 340. You also have to like that Pete Alonso is hitting 265 to go with his 23 home runs so far this year. You get Robinson Cano back in the fold, though. He has been a little bit shaky, 240 average. And then you've got Amid Rosario hitting a 245. 
But let's take a look at the famine bats in Domas Nito and Carlos Gomez. Wilson Ramos has been out of the fold at the catcher spot for quite a while for this team. Both these guys are hitting below a 220. And then you got Todd Frazier and Michael Conforto, both hitting between a 250 and a 260 as well. Todd Frazier supplying a couple home runs, and Michael Conforto has some decent power numbers himself. He entered into Tuesday with 13 home runs, but for the Atlanta Braves, everyone is hitting for this team. How about Ronald Acuna Jr.? Hitting above 300 to go with 17 home runs. Freddie Freeman doing a little bit of everything. 313 average, 19 home runs, 52 RBI. Dansby Swanson really coming into his own. 13 home runs, 260 average there. You are noticing that Nick Markakis' average is dipping a little bit. It's now at 270, but Austin Riley has been terrific since getting called up to the big league. 290 average, 11 home runs in about a month. Brian McCann and Tyler Flowers at the catcher spot. Both have been great. Ozzie Albies hitting a 285. Then you got Josh Donaldson who is hitting a 255, but he's really been picking it up with the power 12 home runs there. And with the Atlanta Braves, you actually do have a decent bullpen. Guys like Josh Tomlin have been doing a very good job. We just heard from Joe Osborne that they've got one of the better bullpen ERAs out there in the big leagues recently, and I do think that that's what keeps this total under. I have already locked in the Atlanta Braves in this spot. I do think that Steven Matz is going to look a little bit better in this start than he has in previous starts, and let's face it, the Atlanta Braves are eventually going to cool down a little bit with this torrid scoring pace, but I do think the Atlanta Braves have enough to be able to pull it out here, and I do think that Max Fried delivers a decent start, and the bullpen is able to keep this total under. All right, locked in the Braves in wait and see mode on the under. We move on to 957-958 on the bank rotation. The Miami Marlins are in St. Louis to face off against the Cardinals. Daniel Ponce de Leon goes for the St. Louis Cardinals. Trevor Richards for the Miami Marlins. Your total on this game is anywhere between 8 and 8.5. And Let's give you the 8s first. The over juice is minus 115. The under is minus 105. The 8.5 has an under juice of minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the fish, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 155 and plus 160. If you want to lay it here with the St. Louis Cardinals, that is between minus 170 and minus 175. Daniel Ponce de Leon has actually done a very good job in his starts throughout his two years out there in the big leagues. Very small sample size, but this is a man that has, I believe, won every single F5 that he's ever been in. Meanwhile, with Trevor Richards, he's a gentleman that should have a little bit of a better record than his ledger would indicate, but at the same time, he is giving out too many walks. 3-7 and seven record for Mr. Richards, 368 ERA, 1-2-5 whip. It's 78 and a third innings. He's given out 33 walks and 10 home runs, so nothing great, but nothing awful. We also know that with the Miami Marlins, their bullpen seems to be improving a little bit, but you have a tough time being able to trust in guys like Sergio Romo and company. It doesn't necessarily lend itself to having a whole lot of redeeming qualities. And then you take a look at the flip side for the St. Louis Cardinals. Jordan Nix has been a little bit shaky for this team. You do like what you're getting out of guys like Gallegos and John Ganton company, though. And with the St. Louis Cardinals, Ponce de Leon in his last start was limited to only 71 pitches against the New York Mets. He has a 2 ERA for the year. So obviously, once again, I'm going to say it again. Very small sample size as that is the only start that he's made at the big league level ever since April. But even in his start in April against the Milwaukee Brewers, gives up one run in five innings. Last year, this guy was nails, took a no-hitter into the seventh inning. So I really do like what I'm seeing there. And he's going up against a Miami Marlins team that is very light hitting. Going into Tuesday, the Miami Marlins hitting 237 as a collective 
51 home runs. By far the fewest out there in the big leagues as Jorge Alfaro is our top power bat. 264 average, 9 home runs, 27 RBI. Miguel Rojas has picked it up with the bat. He's hitting at 270. And you do like what you're getting out of Garrett Cooper and Harold Ramirez. Both these guys hitting right around a 300. Harold Ramirez a bit clear of it. Garrett Cooper just barely above it. But then you've got the famine bats for this team. And they're mostly out there in the outfield. Rossell Herrera, Curtis Granderson, JT Riddle are all guys that are in a 215 or worse. Throw in their Austin Dean as well. It's not been going well for them. Starlin Castro hitting a 235. Brad Anderson a 246. And then when you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, you've got some guys that are struggling with the bat, but perhaps Matt Carpenter bunting for a double on Monday is going to get him going. He's hitting 227, so obviously that hasn't been too great, but seems to be getting in the right track. Yadier Molina has not been providing much with a 258 average ever since coming off the injured list. Colton Wong and Dexter Fowler hitting both between a 240 and a 245. Paul Goldschmidt seen a little bit of a dip in his average. He's hitting now a 258, and you've got Marcelo Zuna who's hitting a 263, but I will say that with Goldschmidt, he has provided 13 home runs, and Marcelo Zuna has been a very good power bat as well. He's got 18 dingers. Paul DeYoung hitting a 280. He's got a double-digit amount of home runs as well, but you've got a bunch of guys that have been very ordinary with the bat. I do think, though, that they're going to be able to get to Trevor Richards in this spot because with Trevor Richards, he just lends himself to a lot of walks, which means that this bloop and a blast team with the St. Louis Cardinals could be able to get to him and could be able to tag him for a bunch of runs. We saw in his last start against the Pirates, he gave up five runs in five innings, and that's just a no-go here. I do think that Ponce de Leon going to give up a couple runs here, but I do think that the St. Louis Cardinals are going to be able to win this game and win this game convincingly. So, looking at the St. Louis Cardinals on the run line and the over, currently in Wayne Seymour to try to see if I can get minus 110 juice on that over 8. And with the Cardinals run line, I'm seeing at plus 115, would like to be able to maximize the value if at all possible. We move on to 959-960 on the bang rotation. The Arizona Diamondbacks are playing host to the Colorado Rockies. Zach Renke goes for the D-backs. John Gray for the Colorado Rockies. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over as juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks, laying anywhere between minus 127 and minus 132. Plus price here with the Rockies, anywhere between plus 117 and plus 122. John Gray recently pitched some relief in that game on Sunday against the San Diego Padres where he walked Matt Stram with the bases loaded. That's not necessarily a redeeming quality, and he's going up against an Arizona Diamondbacks crew that going into Tuesday had won eight of their last 11, and Zach Greinke has been nothing short of amazing for this team. In 95 innings pitch, he's given up 11 home runs, but you look at his most recent 91 innings, he's only given up seven home runs, 265 ERA, whip below one, eight and two record. In his last two starts, he's went a combined 13 and a third innings, giving up no runs, so he is in rarefied form. Meanwhile, John Gray, 438 ERA. He's lending himself to some hard contact. 84 and a third innings. He's given up 13 home runs. And with the Arizona Diamondbacks going into Tuesday, they were averaging two home runs per game in the month of June. So he's certainly lending himself to hard contact, and they're certainly hitting it as Eduardo Escobar and Cattell Marte. A combined 37 home runs going into Tuesday. Eduardo Escobar hitting a 292. Cattell Marte, 286. Christian Walker had some struggles out there in the month of May, but he seems to be back online. He's got right around a 250-ish average. He's been able to supply some power with 12 home runs. Adam Jones, 13 home runs, 280 average there. David Peralta sitting just below 290. Gerard Dyson, 15 sole bases to go with a 260 average. You've got Chad Kelly and Nick Abad both hitting between a 270 and a 275 as well. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Colorado Rockies. They certainly were putting up runs against the San Diego Padres, but you got to feel like that's going to come back to earth a little bit. You've got Charlie Blackman, David Dahl both hitting at 336, and in the case of Blackman, 16 home runs. 
Trevor Story has a 292 average. He goes 17 home runs. Nolan Arenado also 17 home runs, 57 RBI, 321 average. Daniel Murphy and Ian Desmond have really picked up their averages. They're hitting both between a 274 and a 280. Ryan McMahon is hitting a 263. Tony Walters hitting above 300. And Chris Iannetta, whenever he's at the catcher spot, has been doing a solid job as well. We do know that with the Colorado Rockies, guys like Brian Shaw, Wade Davis, and company, they're certainly showing their warts. But with the Arizona Diamondbacks, aside from the game of which Archie Bradley pitched on Sunday, the bullpen has actually looked pretty decent. I do like Greg Holland as a reliever, and I do think that Zach Greinke is going to be able to deliver seven-plus good innings here. So for that reason, going to be riding the Diamondbacks and the under in the spot. I've already locked in the under on this game. Currently, Wayne Seamode on the D-backs, as I've noticed a little bit of seam coming in on the Rockies. 961-962 on the bang rotation. You've got the L.A. Dodgers, and they play host to the San Francisco Giants. Drew Pomerantz goes for the Giants. Rich Hill goes for the L.A. Dodgers. Your total on this game is 8. Over has juice of anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the San Francisco Giants, getting a big plus price here. Anywhere between plus $2 and plus 215. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it here with the L.A. Dodgers, that's anywhere between minus 230 and minus 250. Rich Hill has done a pretty decent job of being able to hold down the fort. His one big bugaboo is the fact that he lends himself to hard contact. Meanwhile, I just don't know what to make out of the two quality starts that we've seen out of Drew Pomerantz recently. This is a man that in the month of May had an ERA of a 1916. That was a year that Woodrow Wilson was in office for the year he's got a 643 ERA, but he wound up being able to pull off a win when he faced off against the LA Dodgers about two weeks ago, and they followed that up with going five innings and not giving up a run against the Milwaukee Brewers. I think that's a little bit of an anomaly because in 49 innings so far this year, he's got 25 walks to go with 11 home runs. Richel lending himself, like I said, to hard contact as well. 10 home runs give it up in 52 innings, but a 260 ERA a 1-1-3 whip, 4-1 record, doing a good job of getting punch outs as well. 59 and 52 innings. And with the LA Dodgers, you've got one of the better lineups out there in the big leagues, and you've got a team that's been very dominant at home. Going into Tuesday, the LA Dodgers 28-9 and at home. That is pretty gosh darn impressive. And you know what else is pretty gosh darn impressive? What Cody Bellinger has done so far this year. Entering into Tuesday, 355 average, 23 home runs, 58 RBI. Max Muncie has hit right around 7 home runs the last 10 days. 17 home runs, 285 average there. Jock Peterson hitting just at 234, but he's got 18 home runs. Alex Verdugo and Josh Scherner both hitting between a 293 and a 305. Matt Beatty is hitting a 270. You do have a couple struggling bats as well. Kike Hernandez, Chris Taylor, Austin Barnes, all hitting below a 220, but all in all, a pretty lethal lineup, which cannot be said for the San Francisco Giants as right now, their best hitters are Brandon Belt and Pablo Sandoval. Both these men have nine home runs. Meanwhile, Pablo Sandoval, he's hitting right around a 280-ish. Brandon Belt just a 244. And the only man in the starting lineup that had a batting average above a 256 yesterday was Buster Posey hitting a 258, but he's been in and out of the lineup. You are not getting much out of Tyler Austin. He's hitting a 218. Kevin Pillar, a 225. Evan Longoria, a 236. Steven Duggar, a 237. Brandon Crawford, a 209. And none of these guys are hitting home runs right now. So it's not lending itself to too many redeeming qualities. With the San Francisco Giants, the best thing you could say about them is that the bullpen guys like Mark Melanson, Sam Dyson, and company have been solid. But whenever you're able to get into the deep relievers like your Derek Hollins that have to eat up multiple innings, it's not going well. With the LA Dodgers, we know that their bullpen is a mess as well. Caleb Ferguson is not doing the job. Yimi Garcia is Yimi Garcia. 
Julio Arias has been all over the place as well. And this is a spot where I do think that both the bullpens are going to be able to give up some runs. But I think the Dodgers absolutely clobber Drew Pomerantz after he was able to hold them down in the last start. I think they're going to be angry. So currently seeing a Dodgers run line anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Like to lay a little bit less juice there. And currently in Wayne C mode on this over. Would like to be able to get it at more even juice. But we're going to be able to take both of those when the time comes. 963, 964 on the bang rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays are on the road facing off against the New York Yankees. CC Sabat. Athia goes for the Yankees. Blake Snell for the Rays. Your total on this game is 9. The under is juiced between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between minus 105. And even if you're looking at the Rays laying minus 123 across the board, plus price on the New York Yankees is plus 113. I said it in the last segment with Joe Osborne. It's just very weird to see Blake Snell have his ups and downs. In his career against the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees, he has an ERA below 2. Meanwhile, he's lost to the Detroit Tigers this year, and he's lost to the Kansas City Royals twice. So it's a little bit befuddling there. Meanwhile, with CC Sabathia, he's just lending himself to a whole lot of contact at this point. He's got a 3-4 record, 4-4-2 ERA, and 57 innings. He's given up 15 home runs. That's more than a home run every four innings that he pitches. You take a look at his most recent start against the Chicago White Sox. He gave up five runs. Second start in June, he gave up four runs. First start in June, he gave up three. So he's just progressively getting worse and worse. He's given up at least three runs in each of his last four starts. He is just getting hit around like a pinata. I know that the Tampa Bay Rays in recent days have not necessarily been lethal with the bats, but he's still got Austin Meadows hitting a 314 with 12 home runs. Brandon Lowe, 289 average, 15 home runs, 44 RBI. You have to like the way that they have upped their averages with so many of these guys. G-Man Choi is hitting right around a 280. Avicio Garcia, double-digit round of home runs for him. He's hitting just below a... 300. You've got Tommy Famining at 295. He's got 10 home runs. Kevin Kiermaier and Guillermo Heredia in the outfield. Both hitting around at 250. Willie Adamas at 245. You're not getting much out of Mike Zanino and Joey Wendell, but all in all, this has been a pretty decent lineup. Meanwhile, with the New York Yankees, we all know that they're able to mash. Gary Sanchez and Luke Voigt, both inning between a 260 and a 265 for Gary Sanchez, 20 home runs so far this year. And for Luke Voigt, 17. DJ LeMayo at the top lineup is inning above a 300. DD Gregorius that's coming off the injured list, hitting more around a 333. Labor Torres has been doing a nice job of being able to get on base. 280 average to go with 15 home runs. At the bottom of the lineup, Cameron Mabin's hitting right around a 300. And then Edwin Encarnacion adds just a new level to this team. Sitting right around a 240 and was leading the American League in home runs with 21 before he got traded to the Yankees. John Carlos Stanton returned to the lineup yesterday. Obviously a small sample size for him so far this year, but obviously that's going to help. And then you've got Aaron Hicks, who's been struggling ever since coming off the injured list. 215 average there, but I do think that this is a spot where the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be able to win this game. I love the way that Blake Snell always pitches well against very good competition. And I do think that this total is going to go over. With the New York Yankees, you've got a lot of firepower, especially with John Carlos Stanton now back in the lineup. And with CC Sabathia, he has been giving up home runs left, right, and sideways. And Blake Snell himself has been giving up a few more home runs than typical. As right now, you take a look at Blake Snell for the year. His ERA is hovering right around 3-7. He in 75 and a third innings pitch. He has given up nine home runs, 24 walks, 101 punch outs, which is nice. But I do think that the Yankees are going to be able to score a couple runs here. So looking at the Rays on the run line and the over, Rays run line price is currently plus 130. I think the books are starting to catch up to the run line trend of the Tampa Bay Rays. So I'm in Wayne C mode there. And I'm also in Wayne C mode on the over because I'm seeing some eight and a halfs offshore. But we're going to be playing both of those. We move on to 965, 966 on the betting rotation. The Oakland A's play also the Baltimore Orioles. 
Josh Rogers gets a start for the Baltimore Orioles. Chris Bassett has me hook, line, and sinker on this game, and he goes for the Oakland A's. Your total is 9.5. The under has use of minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the Baltimore Orioles, there's no price possible that will give me any sort of hope whatsoever for them, but if you really want to take it, it's between plus 220 and plus 230. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the A's, that is anywhere between minus 260 and minus 280. I will, first of all, point this out. Seems like there is a possibility that there might be an opener coming in for Josh Rogers. So a couple hours before the game, check your ticket. Make sure that there's not an opener going. Make sure that you have the correct pitcher. With that said, this is all about the Oakland A's run line and the over. You take a look at Josh Rogers. He had a relief appearance last week against the Boston Red Sox. He went four and a third innings and he gave up two runs. Apparently, that's good enough for him to get a start. But at AAA Norfolk this year... He's had 12 start. He's had 11 starts, so not necessarily a small sample size in those 11 starts. 8.51 ERA. This is a man that's giving up at the AAA level. These are not big league bats. These are AAA guys. 2.9 home runs per nine innings. The only good thing I can say about him is that he's giving up 1.6 walks per nine innings. So good for him. He's not walking, guys. He's giving up 14.1 hits per nine innings. His whip is a 1745. How do you trust this guy? The fact that he's getting a start is a disgrace to baseball and a disgrace to the Baltimore Orioles organization that has seen such greats as Jim Palmer and Carl Ripken. These guys should right now be boycotting the Baltimore Orioles and have their logo on their plaque be changed because this is a disgrace that he's getting a start. Meanwhile, you take a look at Chris Bassett. He might not be the Mona Lisa Vito of starting pitching, but he's actually been pretty solid. This is a man that's given up a little bit too much hard contact so far this year, but right now, Chris Bassett looking like a very decent pitcher and a guy that you have to trust in in this spot. 3-3 and record, 368 ERA, 58 in the third innings. He's given up 8 home runs and 24 walks. A little bit higher than you'd like to see, but something that we also know about the Oakland A's, they have been raking lefties so far this year, and it all starts with Matt Chapman. 257 average, 16 home runs so far this year. Marcus Simeon, 280 average, directs and profile, actually leads the team in RBI. He's been upping his average. It's been right around the Mendoza line all year long. Going into Tuesday, it was more around a 220. And then you take a look at some of the other guys. Chris Davis seems to be finding it with the bat. He's currently hitting a 238, which is not necessarily great, but he's hit a couple home runs recently. It was in a power outage before then. Ruben Loreno's hitting a 255. He's got 10 home runs. Robbie Grossman at 245. Steven Piscotti at 246. And then Jeff Feigley hitting a 262. He seems to be coming back to earth. And Matt Olson only in a 229, but he's getting a home run every 13 or so at bats. And with the Baltimore Orioles, you also have some decent bats. Anthony Santander, Trey Boom Boom Mancini, and Hanser Alberto all in between a 309 and a 320. And in the case of Mr. Boom Boom Mancini, he has been providing the boom with 16 home runs. You got like that Pedro Severino sitting a 273. He had a three home run game a couple weeks ago. Chancisco, not necessarily singing the thong song, but he is singing the I'm hitting 240 for an average so far this year song. Rio Ruiz hitting a 230. C.V. Wilkerson, a 221. But then you got Chris Crush Davis and Richie Martin that are both hitting below the Mendoza line. I thought it was interesting that on Monday you had Renato Nunes held out of the lineup. He's right now leading the team with 16 home runs at a 240 average. So you want to check in there. And you've got Dwight Smith Jr. currently on the injured list. He's hitting right around a 250 with 11 home runs for the Baltimore Orioles. But with the Baltimore Orioles trotting out there, Mr. Rogers, and the fact that they've got just so many bad bullpen arms, you're probably going to be looking at either David Hess or Dan Straley going in long relief as well. 
There's just no way you can back the Baltimore Orioles here. I'm seeing a run line price of minus 135 on the Oakland A's. I am going to be taking whatever the run line price is. I'm going to try to mitigate the juice as much as possible because keep in mind, nothing is a stone-cold blood pipe block of the century, but... With that said, it's going to be A's run line and the over. Just waiting to see what numbers I get there. This is one that you just don't want to overthink. I think the Oakland A's are just going to get right into Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. We move on to 967-968 on the bang rotation. The Kansas City Royals are on the road facing off against the Seattle Mariners. Marco Gonzalez goes for the Seattle Mariners. Brad Keller goes for the Kansas City Royals. Your total on this game is 9. The under has juice anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. That makes the over anywhere between even and minus 105 if you're looking at the Kansas City Royals. Plus price here between plus 110 and plus 112. One late here with the Seattle Mariners. Minus 120 and minus 122 as we're very cheery after getting that off my chest. And something I've got to get off my chest as well is that I like that Brad Keller just has not been giving up much hard contact so far this year. The walks are a little bit too high with him, but he's been doing a better job of that. 46 walks in 93 innings. That's right around 4.4, 4.5 walks per nine innings, but four home runs given up in 93 innings. That's pretty darn impressive. Meanwhile, with Mr. Marco Gonzalez, he had a really bad snag out there in the month of May. This guy was absolutely atrocious, but in the month of June, he's actually been showing me a little bit of something. He had that blow-up start against the Angels in which he gave up 10 runs, but in his last two starts, he's went a combined 12 and two-thirds innings, giving up just three runs. So he seems to be back on track. He was able to get the win in both of those starts. We also know this about the Seattle Mariners bullpen. It is not good, and that's putting it generously. Meanwhile, with the Kansas City Royals, their bullpen obviously has been a little bit of a stinker as well, but guys like Jake Diekman and Ian Kennedy have actually been decent, and with Brad Keller, there is a very good likelihood that he's going to be able to give this team seven strong innings. You take a look at the Seattle Mariners. They do have some pretty good bats out there, despite the fact that they've sold away Jay Bruce and Edwin Encarnacion. Domingo Santana entered into Tuesday's action with a 272 average, 49 RBI, 13 home runs. Omar Navarro and Tom Murphy combined for the third most home runs at the catcher spot of any team out there in the big leagues. And both these men are hitting above a 285. Daniel Vogelbach, 17 home runs, 256 average. But then you've got the famine bats of this team as well. Dylan Moore, Malik Smith, Mac Williamson, Shed Long, Kyle Seeger, all guys are in a 235 or lower, so things not going well there. But you got JP Crawford and D. Gordon back in the fold. D. Gordon hitting just below a 280. He's done a good job of stealing bases. And then you got Crawford hitting more in the realm of a 263 as well. And then with the Kansas City Royals, you've got a very top heavy lineup as well. With Whit Merrifield hitting 300 at the top of the lineup, he's been terrific. You've got Alex Gordon hitting right around a 265. He's Slugged nearly 40 RBI. Adelberto Mondesi is hitting at 270, and he leads the league in stolen bases with 26. Jorge Soler, 19 home runs, 245 average. Chesler Cuthbert, ever since getting called up to the big leagues, hitting just below a 300, and then Jorge Bonifacio is hitting above 300 as well. But then let's take a look at the famine bats as well. Cam Gallagher, Martin Maldonado, Nicky Lopez, Billy Hamilton, Chris Owings, and Ryan O'Hearn. All guys that are hitting a 221 or lower. Obviously, that doesn't lend itself to a lot of redeeming qualities there. So I do think that we're going to get a little bit of a lower scoring game. And I do like the way that both these starting pitchers have been rolling. So I am all about the under in this spot. And with Brad Keller doing a very good job of being able to keep the ball in the ballpark and the way that the Seattle Mariners really feast on the home run ball and the fact that I don't think that he's going to give up too many of them. I'm going to take the plus price here with the Kansas City Royals. Currently in Wayne Seymour on both these would like to be able to get a little bit more minus 110 juice on the Mariners. And I don't think that too many people are going to be betting 
playing the Royals. So going to be playing both of those just in wait and see mode on the set numbers. 969, 970 on the bang rotation. The Toronto Blue Jays play also the LA Angels. Andrew Heaney goes for the Angels. Aaron Sanchez goes for the Toronto Blue Jays. If you're looking at the Blue Jays, plus price here anywhere between plus 140 and plus 148. Want to lay it with the Angels as anywhere between minus 155 and minus 158. Your total on this game is 10. The under is juice between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. We have seen Mr. Sanchez get into a little bit of a funk at Andrew Heaney. A little bit of a tough luck guy on Friday as he actually... Went over five innings, giving up just one run against the Tampa Bay Rays. The bullpen could not hold it for him. They gave up just a whole bunch of runs as Andrew Heaney. Currently a 4.57 ERA. He's given up too much hard contact. Six home runs given up in 21 and two-thirds innings, but 30 strikeouts has been impressive. Meanwhile, with Mr. Sanchez, things have not necessarily been going well for him recently. 3-8 and eight record, 5.04 ERA. He certainly has had his issues with the walks, and in the month of June, he's given up four-plus runs at every one of his starts. But you take a look at what he was doing towards the end of May. He was actually looking very impressive. In his last three starts in the month of May, he gave up one or two runs there. So this is a man that has some potential. Last time he went up against the Angels, he gave up four runs in four innings. But I do think that this could be a little bit of a better start from the 43 walks and 75 innings, obviously an issue. But you got to feel like the Toronto Blue Jays at some point are going to be able to turn the corner. And this is a team that does have a little bit of power on it, despite the fact that well, their team batting average is hovering right around a 220. I believe that it is now the lowest out there in the league. But you're noticing that Kevin Biggio has been picking it up with the bat. Right around a 230 average. He had a multi-home run game against the Angels on Monday, so that's a good sign. Lords Gurriel has been terrific since coming off the injured list. He's hitting 275. Vlad Guerrero Jr. seems to be coming into his own. He's hitting just below 260. He's got seven home runs. Eric Sogard has a 291 average, but then you need to get a little bit more out of Justin Smoke and Randall Gritchick with regards to the average. Both these men hitting between a 215 and a 225 with their batting average. Both these men also have 12 home runs. Rowdy Telez, 11 home runs, but he's hitting just a 213. Freddie Galvis has 10 home runs with his 257 average. Every one of their catchers is hitting below 200. That's all that needs to be said there. And Brandon Drury hitting below a 220 himself. And with the LA Angels, their bullpen with guys like Luis Garcia and company have really been failing them, but the bats seem to be very strong with this team. Tommy LaSella and Mike Trout both hitting just below a 300 with the case of LaSella, 15 home runs. And for Mike Trout, 19 home runs going into Tuesday's action. Shoy Otani hit for the cycle last week. He seems to be really picking things up with his 275 average. Albert Pujols hitting more around a 230 to a 235, but he's also got 12 home runs. Daniel Fletcher doing a nice job of getting on base. He's hitting above 300, and then you've got Kevin Smith hitting a 295. Cole Calhoun is hitting just a 235, but he's got 15 home runs, and then Brian Goodwin hitting just below a 290 himself. You're not getting much out of Wilfredo Tovar and... Lewis Rengifo, both these gentlemen hitting below a 230, but all in all, you've got some decent bats out there with the Angels, but I do think that this is the start where things turn around for Mr. Sanchez. I do think that the Blue Jays are going to be able to hit a couple solo home runs off of Andrew Heaney. I think they're going to be able to get a win in a little bit of a lower scoring game. So for that reason, going to be riding with the Toronto Blue Jays in this spot, and we're going to be taking this total under. I'm feeling good about both these numbers, so I've already locked in both of them, so we are all good to go there. We move on to a game that is currently off the board, 971-972 on the bang rotation. It is the Cleveland Indians, and they are on the road facing off against the Texas Rangers. Adam Blutko goes for the Cleveland Indians. Joe Palumbo goes for the Texas Rangers. This game is currently off the board because the Texas Rangers were unsure of who they were going to have as their starting pitcher until the afternoon yesterday. So for that reason, we currently have no numbers. 
This is a very interesting situation. If you see this total open up at 11 or lower, I'm probably going to be able to take it over. With Adam Plutko, this is a man that is all over the place. 3-1 record, 463 ERA. You don't know whether you're going to get good Adam Plutko or bad Adam Plutko. In two starts in the month of June, he's given up two runs, went six innings in each of them. Start before that, five and a third innings against the Tampa Bay Rays. Got just destroyed. Seven runs. And I will say that Mr. Palumbo out there at the double-A level for Frisco was not too bad. 319 ERA. He made 10 starts for him. He wound up striking out 11.6 batters per nine innings. Gave up .8 home runs per nine innings. So did a good job of limiting the hard contact. In his first start against the Oakland A's, he actually got the win in that one. It wasn't necessarily a result of his absolutely sterling pitching. He gave up four runs in four innings, including a home run to the Oakland A's. But with that said, he still was able to get the win. And I am noticing the Texas Rangers bullpen has been doing a much better job recently. Jose LeClerc has not necessarily been great for this team. But you do have guys like Martin and company that are doing a decent job. Jeffrey Springs, not necessarily great. And with the Cleveland Indians, we all know that their bullpen is very good. But with the Cleveland Indians, they also have some bats that have went a little bit famine for this team. Carlos Santana has been terrific for this team, eating just under a 290, 14 home runs. And then Francisco Lindor, 303 average, 12 home runs ever since coming off the injured list. That has been terrific. Orlando Mercado at the top of the lineup has been doing a great job of being able to get on base. And Taylor Naquin, decent himself. He's hitting just below a 280. Naquin is. And then with Orlando Mercado, he entered into Tuesday's action, hitting above a 300. But just take a look at this list right here. Jason Kipnis, Jose Ramirez. Both hitting below a 215. Jake Bowers is hitting below a 230. He did it for the cycle a couple days ago, but that was a result of the Detroit Tigers just having poor pitching. Roberto Perez hitting a 240 for this team. I will say that he's picking it up with the power. This is a man that has 11 home runs so far this year, but the Texas Rangers have a much better lineup. Willie Calhoun has come off the injured list. He's hitting just below 400. Obviously, that's not going to be able to last. You do have a couple guys that are leaving something to be desired. Renato Dorr, Ronald Guzman. Jeff Mathis, all in below a 215, and in the case of Odor and Mathis, both below 180, but then you've got Danny Santana, Elvis Andrews, both hitting above a 300. Hunter Pence has been held out of the lineup the past couple days, but he's hitting nearly a 290 to go with 14 home runs. Sinchu Chu hitting a 285 himself. He's been able to supply the boom with 12 home runs. Noah Mazar is hitting a 265. Logan Forsyth has seen a dip in his average, but he's been doing a solid job as well. And the Texas Rangers are just finding a way to be able to win games even without Joey Gallus. So it proves just how well-rounded this team is in general, and it looks like Hunter Pence is on the 10-day injury list. So obviously, don't expect him in this game. But with that said, I do think that the Texas Rangers, if you're getting a good plus price here, might have some value on it. Like I said, total of 11 or lower, probably going to take it over. If you're seeing like an 11 and a half, a 12, something like that, probably going to be taking it under. This is all in Wayne C mode, though. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GunitRSquarity1 for set plays there, as we might see lineup changes and everything like that. 973, 974 on the bank rotation. The Minnesota Twins play host to the Boston Red Sox. Eduardo Rodriguez goes for the Boston Red Sox. Kyle Gibson goes for the my goes for the Minnesota Twins. Your total on this game is nine and a half. The over is just minus one hundred fifteen. The under is minus one hundred five. If you're looking at the Twins, anywhere between minus one hundred fifteen and minus one hundred nineteen. The Boston Red Sox plus price here between plus one hundred five and plus one hundred nine. Kyle Gibson has been doing a very good job with the Minnesota Twins. He is one of the most profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues. His peripheral numbers are neither great nor terrible. He's given up 11 home runs in 75 innings, 17 walks, 370 ERA, 117 whip. Meanwhile, with Mr. Rodriguez, he actually has a fielding independent that's nearly a full run lower than his ERA. ERA currently a 467, but 
This is a gentleman that's coming off a very good start against Baltimore Orioles. Gave up one run in seven innings. He's been a little bit hit or miss so far this year. He'll give up either one run or he'll give up four plus. You just don't know what Eduardo Rodriguez you're going to be able to expect. But with the Minnesota Twins, you can expect a whole lot of runs. In the first 71 games of the year, 137 dingers are currently on pace for the new MLB record. And you just take a look up and down the lineup. You've got a little bit of everything with this team. Jorge Polanco, 10 home runs. He's hitting just below a 340. Max Kepler had that three home run game a while back against the Cleveland Indians. He has been able to do a good job at just a little bit of everything. He can hit leadoff. He can be able to hit a little bit lower, 265 average. He's got 17 home runs. Eddie Rosario, 258 average, 19 home runs. Nelson Cruz and Mitch Carver are now off the injured list. Carver hitting above 300. He's got a double-digit round of home runs. Nelson Cruz, 281 average. He's got 13 home runs. C.J. Crone is hitting a 275. And Marlon Gonzalez more around a 260. And in the case of Crone, 15 home runs. Miguel Sano is averaging a home run every 12 or so at bats. Jake Cave recently came up from AAA as well. He might be able to give this team a shot in the arm. And then you've got Jonathan Scope and Byron Buxton hitting right around a 260. And for the Boston Red Sox, Mookie Betts has been struggling a little bit. He's hitting at 265. Andrew Benatendi at 269. You do have Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, and J.D. Martinez. Both, all three, hitting right around a 300. In the case of J.D. Martinez, he's got 16 home runs. Rafael Devers has 10. And then Xander Bogarts has 14. Brock Holt is hitting at 290. Since coming off the injured list. You do have a couple guys that are struggling. Jackie Bradley Jr., Eduardo Nunez. Both guys are hitting below a 220, and Sandy Leon right in that neighborhood as well. But then you got Christian Vasquez hitting a 290. And I will say that in the case of the Boston Red Sox, guys like Brandon Workman, Marcus Walden, and company have been good out there in the bullpen with the Minnesota Twins. It's been a little bit intermittent so far this year, but they seem to have some very good bullpen arms themselves with Taylor Rogers being able to close out games. I do think that this is a game in which the Minnesota Twins are going to be able to get to Mr. Rodriguez, and I do think that Kyle Gibson is going to be able to provide a pretty good start as well. So for that reason, going to be riding this total under, and I'm going to be taking the Minnesota Twins. I really like these numbers that are being shown as well, so I've already locked in both of those, so we're all locked, loaded, and good to go there. As we move on to 975-976 on the bank rotation, the Cincinnati Reds play host to the Houston Astros. Garrett Cole goes for the Strohs. Meanwhile, Tyler Molly for the Cincinnati Reds. Your total on this game is 8.5. Under is used between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Astros, laying anywhere between minus 170 and minus 175. Plus price here with the Cincinnati Reds is anywhere between plus 155 and plus 160. Garrett Cole has some very good swing and miss stuff, but he's been lending himself to a lot of hard contact, much like his teammate Justin Verlander, who has really been doing a little bit of everything, but it seems like every hit that he gives up leaves the ballpark, as we saw the Cincinnati Reds get two first-inning home runs off of him yesterday. But you take a look at Tyler Molly. He just has not been able to win games to save his life. He's actually been decent for the Cincinnati Reds so far this year. 433 ERA. He's made 13 starts, but he's got just a 2-7 and seven record. This is a gentleman that lends himself to a little bit of hard contact as well giving up 1.5 home runs per nine innings. He does limit the walks, though, with 2.2 per nine innings as well, but the team is just 3-10 and 10 so far in his starts. Meanwhile, with Garrett Cole, he seems to be getting back online. He has been getting out of a couple of Houdini acts early, and then he just seems to settle down from there. 
And with Garrett Cole, he's averaging over 12 strikeouts per nine innings. So he's got some terrific swing and miss stuff. I mentioned the hard contact. He's giving up 1.5 home runs per nine innings with giving up 15 so far this year. But the 140 punch outs, obviously great. 367 ERA. And with both the Astros and the Cincinnati Reds, you've got two of the top six bullpens in regards to ERA. So both those are very trustworthy. And we all know what the Astros are currently without George Springer, Carlos Correa, and Jose Altuve. But you still have Alex Pregman out there in the lineup. He has been doing a terrific job. He is hitting right around a 264 to go with his 19 home runs. Michael Brantley, 10 home runs himself. He's hitting above 300. Jordan Alvarez, ever since getting called up to the big leagues, is averaging like a home run every two games. He's hitting above 300. Yuri Gurriel is hitting a 260. Robinson Chirinos, two weeks ago, had a stretch where he had four home runs in four games. But then you got Tyler White. Tony Kemp both hitting below a 230. Jake Marizic is only hitting a 240 himself. And then with the Cincinnati Reds, you've got a feast or famine team. Dan Diedrich finally hit his first home run in the month of June yesterday. He now has 18 on the year. He's hitting right around a 235 for this team. Eugenio Suarez has done a nice job for this squad as well. He's hitting just below a 255 to go along with his 15 home runs. Joey Votto's hitting now a 255. And Jesse Winker has actually gotten very hot for this team. He's been upping his average from what was about a 230 to now in the neighborhood of a 245. He's got 12 home runs so far this year. Nick Senzel sitting at 265. You've got Yasiel Puig upping his average to a 230, but then you've got Jose Peraza, Tucker Barnhart, Kyle Farmer, all hitting a 225 or lower for this team. So batting average clearly not there with the Cincinnati Reds. And I do think that Tyler Molly is going to be able to give a decent but not great start. I think the Houston Astros are going to be able to get right around four runs, and I think it's going to be more than enough for Garrett Cole in that tremendous bullpen to be able to hold down the fort. So looking at the Astros on the run line and the under in this spot, I'm currently in Wayne Seamode on the under, try to see if I can get minus 110 juice. And with the Astros run line, currently minus 105. So like to be able to get even juice or even a little bit better there. As we move on to 977-978 on the bang rotation, it is the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they're going to be playing host to the Detroit Tigers. Trevor Williams makes his first start off the injured list for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Matthew Boyd goes for the Detroit Tigers. Your total on this game is 8. The over has juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Pirates, could be laying anywhere between minus 115 and minus 118, so a lot of booty there. Meanwhile, with the Tigers, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 108 is the price there. With Trevor Williams, he had the best ERA out there in the big leagues after the All-Star break in the 2018 season. And he was good, but not great to be able to begin this year. But with him coming off the injured list, this is a spot where I typically like to fade guys coming off the injured list for the year for Trevor Williams. 2-1 and record, 3.33 ERA, 54 innings pitch. He only gave up four home runs. He was lining himself to a little bit of contact in general. And then you take a look at Matthew Boyd. He's been coming back to earth a little bit. He's done a great job with over 110 strikeouts and right around 90 innings. So he's getting right around 11 punch outs per nine innings, 3.35 ERA. But take a look at his starts in June. He's given up three plus runs in all three of them so far. And you even go back to the month of May. He allowed three or more runs in two of those starts as well. He had a good couple starts to be able to end the month of May. And then in June, it's really been a little bit of a precipitous fall. And he's going up against a Pittsburgh Pirates team that is the second best team in the big leagues in regards to overs. It's because they've got a bunch of guys with a very good batting average and a very poopy bullpen. And it all starts with Josh Bell with regards to the batting. 
He is hitting right around a 320 for this team. 19 home runs, 65 RBI going into the team's game on Tuesday. Melky Cabrera has been doing a terrific job of getting on base along with Brian Reynolds. Reynolds hitting a 357. Melky Cabrera, 325. Kevin Newman, a 311. Sterling Marte, double-digit amount of home runs, 285 average error. Elias Diaz is hitting 275. You've even noticed that Colin Moran hitting right around a 260. He's exceeded 10 home runs so far this year. Adam Frazier is hitting a 260. Jung Kong has been a little bit useless for this team. He's hitting right around above. 50, but past that, this team has been very good. Meanwhile, with the Detroit Tigers, they're not supplying a lot of power. I believe that they're second lowest in the league with regards to home runs. Nico Goodrum and Christian Stewart were very hot towards the beginning of the month of June, but both those guys have seen their average revert more to around a 230 to a 235. Nick Cassianos hitting a 262 for this team. Miguel Cabrera has just four home runs, but he's hitting a 296, so he's doing a good job of getting on base along with Brandon Dixon. He's hitting a 280. Harold Castro is hitting a 250, but then you've got Jordan Hicks hitting a 211. Jacoby Jones has actually the team lead in regards to home runs with eight, which is pretty sad. He's hitting a 240. But I do think that being able to face off against a Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen, which it's probably going to need to look into long relief because I just don't think that Trevor Williams is going to deep go deep in the start. Could really get them ignited. And with Matthew Boyd, he's been giving up quite a few runs. So I do think that both these teams exceed four runs. I am all about the over in this spot. But I do have a little bit more faith in Matthew Boyd going a bit longer than Trevor Williams in a pitching matchup that I don't think will be a pitcher's duel to say the least. So for that reason, we're going to be riding with the Detroit Tigers and the over in this spot. I've already locked in the Tigers and I've already locked in the over. And we conclude things with 979-980 on the bang rotation. You've got the Chicago White Sox and they are on the road facing off against the Chicago Cubs. We're actually seeing a total out here even though the game is in Wrigley Field. This is being posted up by Caesars. The total is 8 over of juice minus 115. The under is minus 105. I'm not going to be giving you guys a play on this yet because I need to see the win. If the win is blowing out, I'm going to be all about the over because you've got John Lester going for the Chicago Cubs and you've got Lucas Giolito going for the Chicago White Sox. And with the White Sox, you're getting a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 118 and plus 122. The under the Chicago Cubs are anywhere between minus 128 and minus 132. This is a spot, like I said, with the wind. I'm not going to give you a total there if it's blowing out. Certainly going to be looking at the over. And it's because John Lester is a man that lends himself to a lot of hard contact. You take a look at John Lester. He had a very good start to the year, but also take a look at the other side for the Chicago White Sox. Lucas Giolito has been good all year. He's given up two home runs in his last eight starts. 10-1 record, 2.22 ERA, whip of a .95. He's given up just five home runs this year in 81 innings, 95 strikeouts. He has been nothing short of amazing. Meanwhile, John Lesser has given up 12 home runs in 70 and a third innings. You take a look at his most recent starts ever since the month of May. He's got a very sky-high ERA above 5, 4.08 ERA for the entire year. Whenever the wind is blowing in, he seems to be an effective pitcher, but when it's blowing out, not so much. And with the Chicago White Sox, you do have a couple guys that are doing a very good job of being able to hit for this team. And it all starts with Mr. Jose Abreu. He's hitting just below a 270 for the squad. 17 home runs, over 50 RBI. Got like that Tim Anderson is doing a great job of being able to get on base. He's hitting at a 314. Lourdes Garcia at the top of the lineup, 279. Yohan Mankata has been in and out of the lineup. He's been able to see a couple pinch inning opportunities, but he's got 12 home runs to go with a 290 average. James McCann hitting a 324. Eloy Jimenez seems to be really upping his game as well. 11 home runs. He's hitting just below a 250 for this team. And then you've also got Yomer Sanchez hitting right around 250. But Jose Rondon, Ryan Cordell, both these men are hitting below a 215. And then you've got 
Yonder, Alonzo, and Wellington Castillo both hitting below the Mendoza line. Meanwhile, with the Chicago White Sox, you are getting some power out of Kyle Schwarber. 236 average. He had his 16th home run of the year yesterday. Chris Bryant is hitting more in the realm of a 275 to go with his 15 home runs. Anthony Rizzo has been a man possessed with the home runs. 19 home runs, 283 average, 285 average for Avi Baez to go with his 17 home runs. Victor Carantini, whenever he's in for Wilson Contreras, with Contreras hitting right around a 285 to a 290 with 13 home runs, has been solved. Victor Carantini. Not so much a power, but he's hitting above 300. Carlos Gonzalez has not been doing much for the team, along with Daniel Descalso. Both of these guys are hitting below a 215. And then you've got Jason Hayward, who's been a little bit up and down with the average. He's hitting a 250 right now, but you have to like that. David Bodie, who's been in and out of the lineup recently, sitting a 280. You're not getting much out of Addison Russell. And with the Chicago Cubs, we know that the bullpen's a little bit shaky. Very hard to trust in guys like Brad Brock and company. And with the Chicago White Sox, I keep saying it. Guys like Aaron Bummer and company have been doing a very good job for them. So I am going to be all about the Chicago White Sox in this spot. If the wind is blowing out, I'm going to be looking at a reverse run line. If the wind is blowing in, probably going to be looking at a more conventional money line play. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquarity1 for set plays there. And that is also where you can ask a question if you have it for the podcast. A big thanks to our man Joe Osborne of Oddtrick for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Apple is apparently doing away with iTunes, so I had to say Apple Podcasts instead. That is going to be a very hard adjustment, but I will survive. And as always, let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. And I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.